Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help sustain yourself and your wealth for 30 plus years. On today's show, we're going to be discussing the various levels of risk you can take in your investments. Also, two taxable events that can blindside you. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I am just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO and President of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to hear that, Brian. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. We're all set for the holiday season here on Growing Your Wealth. Brian, there's something in the financial space. I've heard this before. It's called the Rule of 100, and it suggests that your age should be the percentage of assets that you hold in bonds in your stock bond portfolio. Now, if you're, let's say, 60 years of age, you'd put 60% of your assets in bonds in your portfolio and so on. Is investment risk management, Brian, really just that simple? Uh, yeah, Jeff. Uh, we, we'll just uh, pull out my easy button here. And uh, all I got to do is uh, every time I have a birthday, I'll go onto my account and add 1% to my bond holdings and call it good. I mean, <laughs> this stuff's easy, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's not that simple. First problem is, you know, we're going to talk about different asset categories, and I'm going to kind of put it together in a, in a list format with lower relative risk leading up to higher risk of the different investment classes. And what you'll find out, Jeff, is something crazy. My list has more than two entries on really? it. Really? <laughs> oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, it's not just bonds and stocks. How <laughs> right. about that? I, I'm going to keep it short. I'm only going to have 13 on my list okay. of broad areas someone could invest in. So right away, we have a problem right there. Stocks and bonds, that's it? That's all we got in the world? Uh, no, <laughs> there's a lot of other things. And how did those do uh, in 2022? Ooh, not good. Not good at all. How did bonds do all these years when rates were falling and they were way low and then you bought the bonds because you, you look online, you go, wow, bonds do pretty good long term. I think I'll buy some 10-year treasuries when they're paying 0.3%. And lo and behold, uh, rates go up and you look on your statement, you go, wow, I'm losing a lot of money. I bought these bonds. If I sell them, I'm going to get hammered. And then you look at your stock piece and go, ooh, that's not making me feel warm and fuzzy either. So every investment, as we talk about the show all the time has uh, positives and negatives uh, every investment category sometimes they're appropriate for your situation sometimes they're not we talk about all of them without uh, a particular uh, product bias because we literally can offer everything we talk about so it doesn't matter to us which things you buy or invest in if you're a client of ours what matters to us is getting it right so i'm looking forward to this discussion certainly uh, the stock bond split the rule of 100 whatever uh, you want to call it there that is very prevalent out there that is super prevalent for decades and decades from all the big box advisors the ones that you know name stadiums after themselves or mm-hmm. have the big offices in the cities and so forth where they have you know tens of thousands of advisors out there basically it's it's kind of a, a dumbed down strategy to to make it simple for people to understand I, I get it simplicity is sometimes a very good thing especially with financial stuff you got to start somewhere so that's a start sometimes I call starts 101 you know like kind of you know, 101, 201, 301, uh, college course kind of thing. This might be a 001. I don't know. It's just a start. <laughs> and so uh, we got to start somewhere. So that that might be a basis that you you figure out what, what components you want in stocks and bonds based upon your risk tolerance. But again, that's just a start. But uh, we'll, we'll begin with that in our discussion today. And as you said, Brian, many financial advisors just simply gravitate to something that's easy because as you said, it's easy. It, it doesn't mean that they have to give a lot of thought to it. So you talked about 13 areas that we could invest in, and you were going to rank them from the lowest risk to the highest risk. So where do we start with this? 
Well, since this is the holiday season, we're, we're going to have some fun with this, kind of make it our, our Christmas shopping list of investments. So uh, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to run through the list first, and then I'm going to circle back and uh, give some clarity on each of the items and why I think it is where it is on my risk from low to, to high risk. So uh, number one, cash and CDs. Next, fixed annuities, followed by fixed indexed annuities, universal life, bond funds, individual bonds, buffered ETFs, mutual funds and ETFs, credit funds, private REITs, individual stocks, private equity, and opportunity zones. So there's my kind of uh, investment shopping list, Christmas shopping list for investments that I want to talk about. 13 different types as a response to that simplification of the Rule 100 where you just have all your investments and stocks and bonds. There's a lot of other places you can have your money. I want to talk about each and the risk associated with each one. So as you said, Brian, we were going to talk about this from the lowest risk to the highest. So where do we start with that conversation? Yeah, cash and CDs. And so yeah, it can be money markets, anything that's you know, at the bank, basically, that's safe. And CDs are shorter term instruments. So, you know, they could be three months, six months, one year, you know, that kind of thing. Certainly, for the first time in many years, we've seen them actually sometimes pay decent amounts of money in interest. But there's no risk here as far as the investments. If you're, you know, you have proper amounts, you're not uh, overinvested in a particular bank. But one risk to that, everything has some risk. One risk is opportunity risk. So let's say that, oh, I have a bunch of money in cash, so I'm, I'm safe. And, and I had this happen recently. A client had a whole bunch of money in checking, high yield checking account. And I looked at their definition of high yield. It was 0.4%. Mm. And I said, well, would you, are you going to need this money? Because it was over a million dollars. And he said, no, I don't need it. I got plenty. And I said, well, would you like to have many, many times that, you know, 10 times or more interest on that same money with the same level of risk? He said, well, of course I would. So that's what we did. So the opportunity was there and he was missing out while he had that account. Yeah, he wasn't at risk of loss necessarily. Well, actually he was because it was all at one bank and he was only protected to 250,000. So even with my first one, I've got some levels of risk, whether it's actual risk, having too much at one bank or perceived risk relative to the opportunity you could have been having, but you're not taking advantage of. So as we know, every investment has some level of risk and uh, cash and CDs have the lowest risk on our list of 13 here. Brian, what's next? Fixed annuities. So fixed annuities are the insurance company's kind of response to CDs. So if you want to put your money for a period of time at a stated interest rate, you can go to the bank and buy a CD. Or you can go through a financial advisor. You have to go through a financial advisor and do what's called a fixed annuity. So they're they're similar to CDs, except they're you know purchased through an insurance company. A uh, secondly, they they do have uh, generally better liquidity than CDs. They're generally longer term than CDs. So instead of three months, they might be three years, five years, seven years, and they generally pay more than CDs. So that's one of the the differences there. And there is always risk with everything. There's insurance company risk. You have to make sure that the investment Investment advisor knows they're going with a highly rated company that's offering those, uh, just like there's bank risk, as we mentioned uh, with the CDs and, and money markets, frankly. So everything has some risk, but that would be second on my list. And with most insurance products, as I read in, in my study of the insurance program, is that every insurance company is rated in some way. Is that the way that you can minimize risk is only picking insurance companies that are highly rated? Yeah, you can, a number of things you can do. Uh, Certainly uh, the ratings matter. And uh, also you can buy fixed annuities from different companies if that's a consideration. And depending on your state, you may have some protections there. But yeah, certainly uh, we look at the ratings. We, we, you know, we've worked with these companies a long time and they're highly regulated as to their financials, but the ratings are important. And again, sometimes we spread out the risk just like you would with banks. If you had a lot of money, you might spread it to different banks. So we talked about cash and CDs and fixed annuities. Brian, what's next on our list of 13? The next is fixed indexed annuities as opposed to fixed annuities. So I added the word indexed. And what does that mean? Well, an indexed annuity means that uh, they don't promise you a certain amount each year. Generally, fixed indexed annuities have a floor and a ceiling. So the floor might be generally zero. So if you're in some kind of index, let's say it's indexed to the S&P 500. And the floor is zero. So a year goes by and you look at your fixed index annuity and the market crashed. And you go, well, how much did I lose? Well, nothing. You had a, a floor of zero. You know, well, that's pretty good. And then uh, you have a ceiling. So the next year, the S&P rebounded and it was way up. And Did I make all the money the S&P did? No. But you made the, the ceiling amount. 
And the third year, the, the index did 5%. And so it was between the floor and the ceiling. And uh, you say, well, the S&P did five. How did I do? You got five. And so it, the risk is you can have years where you don't make any money. The fixed annuity and the CD always make money. So the benefit, the positive would be in a good year, you make more than you would with a CD or a fixed annuity if you have the right index. And so uh, you have higher upside and you have some low uh, downside, but the downside is limited to zero loss. So you, you went a year, you, you know, the funny thing is I, I've had these discussions. Well, the market did really bad last year. Uh, how come my annuity didn't make any money? Well, <laughs> It's a win when the market's bad and you don't lose anything. That's actually a win. Well, I, I understand it's a win. But I, I don't feel great about not making any money, but I get it. You know, I wish I bought the CD. I'm like, well, next year when it recovers, you know, you'll, you'll get that back and then some. So it's uh, third on my list. Okay, so those are fixed annuities, and as you said, they have a floor of zero, so you can't lose money, but the risk is that you can't maybe make a lot of money if the index doesn't do as well as it should. What's next on your list, Brian? Yeah, I put in a universal life. It can be index universal life. Basically, life insurance, it also is uh, acts as an investment too, depending on the policy you have. You know, we're just, I'm talking super general here, but there are index universal life policies you can, you can invest in over time. They can grow. They generally are like the fixed index annuities, have floors, maybe zero or 1%. They have higher ceilings typically, not all of them, but some of them do. And you can be building cash value over time. You have a death benefit. So if you pass away, tax-free money is paid to your heirs. If you live a long time and your cash value is grown, you can pull money out tax-free while you're living. So that's, that's another thing there. So it has some protections in there. Uh, you know, certainly the, the death benefit is a protection. The floors are a protection. There's other, you know, you can have tax-free cash flow. So I would put that next on my level of risk versus reward. So numbers two, three, and four are insurance products. What is number five? Ah, uh, bond funds. We're back to stocks and bonds All here. Right. All right. Now we're back to bonds. What's a bond? Well, that's where you lend your money to somebody and they promise to pay you interest back and the principal uh, when it comes to what's a bond fund. Well, that's a mix of tons of bonds, lots of different bonds, short term, mid term, long term. So for instance, last year when interest rates skyrocketed upwards, long term bonds lost a lot of money. Short term bonds, not as much. Mid term bonds lost some money. And, and so depending on the duration of your bond is, is how you fared during a, a change in the interest rate environment. And there's different kinds of bonds. There's government bonds, municipal bonds, corporate bonds, U.S. bonds, foreign bonds, emerging market bonds, you know, all these different categories. So a bond fund mixes the risk of many different categories and sometimes many different durations. Although you can buy a, a bond fund of long duration bonds only or short duration bonds only or ultra short and different kinds of things like that. But a bond fund is designed to replicate the bond market to some degree with uh, a lot of different holdings uh, diversify your risk to some degree. Brian, if our listeners want to have an open conversation about the stock bond portfolio, the 60-40 stock bond split, or just really what investments are in their portfolio and their level of risk, once again, we invite you to call us this weekend, 833-673-7373, and request your Madrona analysis. Once again, that number is 833-673-7373. The phone lines are open right now. So, Brian, we've talked about cash and CDs. We've talked about fixed annuities, fixed index annuities, universal life and bond funds our list of 13 up to number six what's next yeah uh, next would be individual bonds and the reason i put individual bonds next let's say for example beginning of 2022 you say yeah i put my, all of my retirement into an individual bond and i'll be going oh okay uh, not a bond fund where you mixed it nope i bought a bond okay which bond did you buy uh, i bought a three-month treasury Whew, okay okay you're fine you, you only lost a little bit of money on your principal. You made a teeny amount of interest, so you're only down a little bit. The next person says, I did the same thing, but I bought a 30-year treasury. I'm like, uh-oh, you just gave up a third of your retirement because you put all your money into a 30-year treasury that lost 30-something percent in that year in value. How, how many years did you work at your job? 30. Yeah, you just gave 10 of them back. I mean, that's a that's mm. a scary thing. So, And the, the reason I want to bring that one up is because people are always talking about why, why that 60-40 stock bond split or 40-60 stock bond split, rule of 100. Well, the bonds are to add security to your, your investment. Well, I just told you about somebody that could lose 10 years of their, their retirement savings 
savings in one fell swoop in one year, putting it into one bond. And how is that secure? Uh, That doesn't sound secure at all to me. So understanding the pitfalls of investments is almost as important as understanding the benefits of them. Uh, This show is about adding clarity because we don't have bias as to which ones we put them in. When rates are high, long-term bonds are really good, by the way. So recently, rates uh, just peaked and uh, we actually added to our long-term bond holdings for our model portfolios because when interest rates fall... Uh, If you have a long-term bond that's locked in at a higher rate, you actually make money uh, as rates fall. So again, there's no, uh, I'm not saying any one investment is good or bad. It depends, your timing, your uh, allocations and so forth. But individual bonds was next on my list. So five and six are bonds. I can't wait to hear where stocks fall on this uh, list. Brian, what is number seven? Yeah, we're already at seven. We haven't even done stocks yet. So It's in there somewhere. Uh, I know. Yeah, it's in there somewhere. I, I promise you it's coming because we're comparing this to the 60-40 or 40-60 stock bond split here. Right. Buffered ETFs. Okay. So what's an ETF? It's, a, a again, a, it's a fund of many different holdings. This could be an S&P 500 ETF that has the word buffered in front of it. What does buffered mean? Buffered means it lowers your risk. Buffered means that the product will absorb a certain percentage of the loss if there is a loss. And you get a certain percentage of the gains if there's a gain. So you don't get all of the gains in a good market and you don't take all the losses in the bad market. So by its very definition, it is less risky than a straight on investment into the index itself or the ETF itself because it adds the word buffered. Okay, so our list of 13 is from the least risk to the most risk. That was a buffered ETFs. Brian, what's next? Well, number eight is probably the biggest one, and that would be mutual funds and ETFs. And I didn't add the word buffered, unbuffered, meaning you're just in the mix. So whether it's a mutual fund that generally has higher internal fees and is less tax advantageous, but mutual funds are a blend of many different stocks or bonds or or real estate or whatever. It can be anything pretty much, but it's a a blend to diversify your holdings. ETFs, uh, similarly, you can buy an ETF, the S&P 500, you'll own. Uh, representation of the 500 biggest U.S. companies, for instance, or the all-world ETF or a bond ETF, whatever. But ETFs that are not buffered, which is typically what you would have in your portfolio if you have a 401k or or a managed account or you're managing your own, you might see a lot of ETFs and mutual funds amongst your holdings. We're climbing that risk ladder here on Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. And what is number nine, Brian? Number nine is credit funds. Mm. So credit funds have come about strongly since 2008 and the banking collapse. Uh, Regional banks and and other banks that used to uh, lend to the middle market basically went away. And so middle market corporations and so forth and, and real estate deals, they didn't have any place to go. So private equity took the place. And so that's where you invest with a private equity company that basically turns you into the bank. So they, they pool their money, your money and thousands of other investors. They say, OK, we've got a lot of money, maybe billions of dollars to lend out. And they can lend it out at very high rates uh, relative to anything else that I've ever seen out there, interest rates. So what's the risk here? Well, they're making private loans. Yeah, it might be one private loan. It might be many, depending on the the fund that you're in. But if you're in a fund with many loans, uh, what could happen? Well, maybe a recession makes it hard for the borrowers to pay back the loans. So you have to understand your underlying you know, equity in your loans, your loan to value, the risk associated with that. So you know, again, maybe you do multiple credit funds, but the objective of the credit fund is to provide the highest cash flow, interest payments of anything basically out there that's generally available. The downside could be a lending risk on that. Only four more slots here in our risk of 13 investments. Brian, what is next? Well, instead of lending to, uh, let's say, a real estate transaction, you could invest in the real estate itself through uh, private non-traded equity REITs. What is that? So that's where a company will uh, have a theme maybe, uh, okay, we buy apartment buildings or whatever it is. And so they, they pool a bunch of money and you can invest in these funds and they'll go out and buy the type of real estate that they're buying. So you're essentially diversifying your risk in a particular type of real estate. It could be a blended mix of different kinds of real estate or a particular component, like I said, industrial parks or just self-storage or just apartments or one that does all 
three. And so you're investing in institutional grade real estate, large real estate holdings. This is not a rental house. This is 300 unit apartments. These are, you know, huge warehouses, distribution centers, Amazon center, whatever. But you're owning real estate with many, many thousands of other investors and your money's being pooled. So I would say that's next on the risk reward because, you know, what if you invested in office buildings and when COVID hit, you probably didn't do very well or shopping centers. Mm -hmm. Uh, You didn't do very well. So there was some risk associated. Had you invested in in other areas of the real estate market, you might have done very well. And so uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, real estate can be very good. It can be very bad in different times. But knowing what you're getting into matters. But I would put that next on my risk reward continuum. Only three slots left, Brian. Are stocks next? You hit it, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> stocks are next. Stocks and bonds. And we started out with this, this section. Uh, it's number 11 right. because individual stocks are next. And I have a great example of that. Uh, I remember one year I talked to two people and they each had all of their money in two different stocks. And one had all their money in this thing called this new startup that sold some books and so forth. I think, it, what was the name of it? It was called, oh, uh, Amazon. Yeah, I there remember you go. those people, yeah. Yeah, they sold books online. What a weird concept. This other company, though, was super solid and they were doing great and becoming one of the biggest leaders in their industry. Uh, rates were, they were making all kinds of great mortgage loans out there. Oh, it's called Washington Mutual. And my poor, uh, the woman that owned the $4 million of Washington Mutual, you know, I told her this is very risky. And she argued with me. She said, this is not risky. They're the safest place I could have my money. I get my dividend every year. They're a bank. They're as safe as can be. I, I see their buildings. They're, they're brick buildings. There is no risk here. I said, well, anytime you have all your money in one stock, I, I know it's been great, but you know, can we take something off the table? And she was like, no. And she didn't become a client. And within six months, her $4 million of Washington Mutual was worth a zero, absolutely zero. She was broke and she was 80, over 80 years old and wouldn't oh, take my wow. advice. Wow. I gave the same advice to the guy with the Amazon stock. I'm glad he didn't take it. <laughs> he, he kept the Amazon stock. He probably bought some islands or something and, and so forth with it. So risk reward. Uh, certainly if you have one stock, you can have great results or you can have very terrible results. So that's why that one, individual stocks are number 11 on my list of from low to high risk uh, reward continuum. So little time, Brian, and we want to get to the next to the riskiest investment. What is that? Uh, I would put private equity. So I talked about real estate investment trusts, private non-traded REITs, where you can pool your money with other people to buy real estate. You're buying real estate's already built. It's already developed. We know what the rents are. We, we, We have some certainties in there. Private equity, however, is usually development projects. So we're going to take your money, then we're going to go out and we're going to purchase something. We're going to build something and project really high returns. Okay, that that may be you're projecting really high returns, but can anything go wrong in a development project? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, uh, lots of things can go wrong. And what if you picked the wrong thing in the wrong place at the wrong time and and we had uh, construction issues or weather issues? Who knows? But the returns can be phenomenal with private equity. The risks can be higher too. Sometimes you can do a fund of private equity and spread that risk. Uh, but if it's a single individual private equity fund, that's probably one of the highest things on my risk reward continuum. And what's the chicken dinner winner here for the 13th <laughs> most risky investment here, Brian? Well, I'm going to throw out opportunity zone investments. All right. And the reason for that is they are essentially private equity with a caveat. You got to keep that at least 10 years to get the tax benefits that you want from the opportunity zone investments. So not only did I add development to it from scratch and and so forth, I added time that you're locked in to minimum. We got liquidity issues. You got taxes you got to come up with on on the capital gains you used to buy it in the first place. So I would put a, a of all the 13, I'm going to put uh, opportunity zones as our winner for the the highest risk uh, reward scenario on our risk reward continuum. Brian, if our listeners would like to have a conversation about these tools that could be used in their portfolio, we invite you to give us a call. The phone lines are open right now at 833-673-7373 and request your Madrona analysis. Once again, that number, 833-673-7373. It's just a conversational analysis that will not cost you anything. Entirely complimentary. If you have at least $500,000 of investable assets as a bonus, 
We're going to send you out a copy of Ryan's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Once again, it's not going to cost you a dime. That number to call 833-673-7373. And once again, the phone lines are open right now. If you're just joining us, this is Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. I'm Jeff Shade. We've just finished discussing the various levels of risk you can take in your investments. If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. You'll get this show and weekday takeaways so that you can stay on top of your wealth and how to grow it. Brian, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be discussing two taxable events that can blindside you. Stay tuned. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to Growing Your Wealth. I'm Brian Evans, CEO and President of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this next segment, we'll be talking about two taxable events that can blindside you. And Brian, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day who was doing his taxes a little bit earlier this year. He knows I do this radio show with you. And he asked, I never owe money in my taxes, but this year I'm going to owe thousands. How does something like that happen? Well, I mean, taxes are an interesting thing because uh, there's a lot of people out there who think uh, your goal is to not ever pay any taxes. And even though I'm, you know, I've been a CPA for a very long time, several decades, I am not a proponent of not paying tax. I'm a proponent of paying the least amount of taxes that you can over a long period of time. That's a very logical approach to things because, generally speaking, our clients cannot get out of taxes because they have they've been vested well. They have pensions, they have rentals. They have annuities. They have portfolios that that create dividends and interest. They have large IRA account balances. Maybe they have required minimum distributions requirements and so forth. They've been very successful financially. And so my goal is not to get them to the zero bracket. That's impossible to do without them losing all their money. And certainly that's nobody's goal. And so if they've been successful, you know, there's a a win and a loss here. Hey, great. I've been successful. I have a lot of income coming in. The bad side is I have a lot of potential income taxes. So how can we manage those income taxes so that my average over a long period of time is low? So somebody that was going, uh, your question was, you know, they were paying nothing for a while Mm -hmm. and then they paid some. Well, I I think that's a good thing. I mean, something went well. It's just, uh, what's the timing? You know, maybe there was better timing to certain things. Uh, Maybe when he was in the 0% bracket, that wouldn't have been a good time to do a Roth conversion or something else to minimize the taxes going forward. But again, that's not generally our our clients. uh, They're going from 0% zero to zero to zero to several thousand. Our clients are generally, uh, okay, how do we take advantage of the 15% bracket? What about the 22 and 24? And how do I stay out of those, you know, the 37 and so forth, if I can, if, if there's any way to do that? Uh, looking at capital gains, how can I stay out of the 23.8 or the, maybe the 15, maybe you're at the zero bracket. There's a, a big amount of money someone can make and still be in the zero bracket. I, I love that bracket if we can get it in a particular year. It could be maybe eliminate capital gains completely with step up and basis planning and so forth. So there's a lot of tax planning that can go on if, if you're you know seasoned in this area. Certainly uh, our, our CPA firm has over 20 people in it. Uh, we have many people with many decades of CPA experience. So we're not pretenders here. You know, we, we certainly uh, can do a, a good job with tax planning and we do a lot of that for our investment clients. And Brian, this particular person that I know was complaining about last year, as I said, he owed nothing, but this year he's complaining about owing thousands upon thousands of taxes. I mean, this was a big change from one year to the next. Would you say that possibly his problem is not being proactive? I mean, tax planning is really a very, very proactive thing, isn't it? It's very proactive. And one of the reasons I want to talk about this in this segment is that very, very, very few people have access to the tools they need to do proper tax planning. And let me further that here. So what I'm talking about is if you go to your financial advisor, for instance, let's say you have a financial advisor and you ask them to do tax planning, the first thing they're probably going to say is, we don't do that. We, we can't. Can you run a tax projection? Can we do some what if scenarios? What if I sell the stock? What if I don't? What if I sell this piece of real estate and don't do a 1031 exchange? What if I do a 1031? 
everyone exchange. What's my delta in my taxes? They're going to look at you and go, uh, we don't do that. Okay, so you can go to your CPA and hire them to do a tax projection. But the CPA is not talking to the financial advisors, in my experience. That just doesn't happen. The CPAs and, and financial advisors aren't on the same page. So the CPA doesn't know the product options. They don't know about Delaware statutory trusts available for 1031 exchanges. They don't have the, the lists of the, uh, let's say you want to sell some stocks. They, they, they can't put it on an Excel spreadsheet because they don't have the, the basis and all the other stuff necessarily to do the, all the what-if calculations that are available. So there's a real disconnect there. Uh, certainly if you're a do-it-yourself investor and you're trying to figure this all out on your own, you know, I get asked this all the time. I say, if I sell this property, uh, what's my tax going to be, Brian? You're a CPA. You're smart. Can you tell me what it's going to be? I'm like, no. There are so many moving parts when you do a tax projection. You plug in one number and it affects your IRMA for Social Security tax. There's multiple tax rates for capital gains, multiple uh, marginal tax brackets. There can be some cliffs, triggers, uh, all this stuff. One number can affect multiple forms. There is nobody on the planet smart enough to do all those that processing in their head with just, gee, what are my taxes going to be if I do X? We have to run that through a program and the program is only as good as the data being put into it and the operator. The operator being you know, our, our accountants here and our program being something I pay six figures a year for our tax software. It's really quite good. And we're not talking TurboTax here. Nothing wrong with TurboTax for yeah. somebody doing their own return. But for us, it's it's not powerful enough. We need a, the 50-state comprehensive tax program. Very expensive. Very, uh, you know, has diagnostic, really good diagnostics, good stuff there. And so that's what we do with our clients. The only way we can answer the what-if scenarios and the tax planning properly is to run those tax projections at a very high level uh, and, and get it right. So if you don't have access to that, and probably most people that are listening to me right now don't, that is something we can provide. And I think it's imperative to get that. If you want to get it right, if you want to get your tax planning right, uh, not only do you have to have the tax program, you got to have a multi-year financial plan produced because, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, tax planning is not a year-by-year in- endeavor. It's a multi-year endeavor. So if I don't know where you're going with your finances and your decisions to make and timing of those, and I don't know where you're at with your tax return itself, and I don't have two very comprehensive programs working in conjunction and an advisor-CPA combo working in conjunction, it's very hard to get this stuff right. Well, Brian, as you said earlier, we can't just hit the easy button on this. I mean, it's not like, you know, and I have one of those little easy buttons. I've got to find it and we'll hit it here during the show. <laughs> that was easy. Uh, tax planning couldn't be further from the truth when it comes to its complexities. The tax code, of course, being very, very big. And as you said, I mean, you there at Madrona Financial, the CPAs, they study this sort of thing every year. But primarily, we're talking about taxable events that could blindside you here. And we were talking about two of those. Are we talking basically about two things, Social Security and capital gains here? Yeah, that's a couple of things that can blindside you. The reason for that is, you know, one of the things people have a misconception about very often is how marginal brackets work and how triggers work. And so those are triggers. I'll talk about that in just a second. But first, marginal brackets means that, oh gosh, I don't want to make an extra dollar, you know, $100 because it's going to put me in the next tax bracket and, mm-hmm. and I'm, it's going to be terrible. I'm in the 15% bracket and I'm going to have a 12% bracket. I'm going to go to the 22% bracket. It's going to cost me tens of thousands of dollars if I make that extra thousand. I'm like, that is not the case. Marginal tax brackets, you know, when we do a tax turn, you're going to be paying some money at zero. And then you're going to be paying some money at say 12% and 22 and 24 and 32, et cetera. But it's only the money within that bracket that gets taxed at that higher amount. So if you were right on the cusp of the next bracket and you made another thousand dollars, it doesn't taint all of your earnings. It just taints that 1,000. So the 1,000 that was in the next higher bracket just gets taxed at that higher bracket. All the rest of your money does not. It doesn't taint it. Now, that is not always the case. So that's what this section was about. There are some things in the tax law that are triggers. They're cliffs. If you did make that extra $1,000, oops, you just tainted maybe all of your Social Security. Your Social Security could be at the 0% bracket. It could be 50% taxable. It could be 85% taxable. These are cliffs. If you're $1 into that cliff you know, or into that trigger, you just triggered it all at that higher taxation. So that can be an issue. You mentioned capital gains. That's another uh, trigger thing. So you might be at the zero bracket, 15, 20, 23.8. That's another trigger kind of thing. So one 
once you hit that amount and go over just a little bit, it can taint all the rest of your taxation on that and then create a problem with IRMA where you have to pay additional, uh, you have uh, more money taken out of your social security check. And I have a story about that in a second. But yeah, again, that this is why I can't do this stuff in my head, Jeff. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm pretty smart. I, I was even, you know, used to be called Rain Man by some of my friends. And, yeah. And, but even Rain Man can't even figure this one out. You no. can count 157 toothpicks that are dropped on the ground maybe. But yeah, so this is not stuff you can do in your head. Yeah. Uh, right. This is something that we need a comprehensive approach to, to get it right. I mean, certainly you don't have to get your finances just right. <laughs> but people listening to this show, I, I would suspect, want to get it right. If you, if you don't care, then you're listening to you know, maybe music radio or something else right, right now or, <laughs> or uh, listening to a book or something. But yeah, so we're, uh, the show's called Growing Your Wealth, and we're trying to give helpful advice as to how to do that. So that was interesting about marginal tax brackets versus the uh, cliffs. And if I understood you correctly with Social Security, it can be taxed up to 85%. That is 85% of your Social Security can be taxed. If you go a dollar over, what you're saying is that it really will affect all of the money and not just the money. It won't affect just that dollar that you went over. Is that is that about right? Yeah, yeah. You, you might be in the zero bracket and you make that extra money. and Oh, now I'm at the 50% is okay. taxable or you're at the 50 and now. 85% of it's taxable. And as I mentioned, uh, uh, Irma, I had a situation I mentioned uh, earlier where this person was paying no tax because all they had was Social Security and coming in, but uh, she had a rental house that she sold and wasn't able to do a, a tax deferred exchange on it and needed the money. And unfortunately, it triggered a couple things. Uh, it triggered a high capital gains on the sale. It also triggered Irma. So her $1,000 a month Social Security check got cut in half, basically, because that one year she had a taxable event. And that taxable event triggered a lot of bad stuff. And, you know, there's no avoiding it in this case. But generally, we can avoid it uh, to some degree. We, If she was in a position to do this, we could have done a, a 1031 exchange for some of it and not triggered all of that taxation. And she would have been able to retain her Social Security and all this other stuff. So there, there are situations where you can do something about it. There are situations where you just can't. Sometimes, you know, you get a big bonus at work. Well, you, you can't defer bonuses. You, no, no. You, you, and you don't turn them down. You know, take the money. Of you're going to get, you know, now we got to look at the other stuff. Maybe we don't trigger certain sales. You know, so maybe you don't do a Roth conversion that year. Maybe you don't sell capital gain property, uh, real estate or stocks. You wait till the next year. So there, there are, you know, there are things within our control on taxation. Another big thing is people often in their 60s are putting off, putting off, putting off, taking money out of their IRA they want to they don't want to pay tax and because they've been told they got to save tax so we're going to be in a low bracket throughout our 60s dear we're, we're not going on vacations we're not taking any money out I don't want to pay tax we're not going out to eat we're going to live frugally until uh, our 70s and then there'll be these things called required minimum distributions oops we built up a huge IRA account and now we're getting hammered on taxes for the rest of our lives using the required minimum distributions there's no way out of that one uh, if you don't take one there's a 50 percent penalty so, you know, there that's a bad thing. So a smart tax planner with a multi-year approach would have said, let's take out, let's do some Roth conversions in your 60s and actually increase your taxes, increase your taxable income in the lower brackets, knowing that in your 70s, you were going to get walloped with a ton of money at the highest brackets. So just being smart about that in a multi-decade approach, and not even a multi-year, that's a multi-decade approach to integrating your financial planning along with your tax planning. And you were talking about Irma there. I want to clarify this. Irma is not a person, but IRMA really is an acronym for income-related monthly adjustment amount, where IRMA, it's a fee that you pay on top of your Medicare Part B and your Part D premiums if you make a yearly income above the annual thresholds. Brian, if our listeners are willing to be proactive about their tax planning future, and they'd like to talk with an advisor at Madrona Financial about how to do that, once again, we are offering a Madrona analysis. You can get yours by calling this weekend, as in right now, 833-673-7373. Once again, that telephone number is 833 7373 And as I said, the phone lines are open right now. If you'd like to have a casual conversation with an advisor there at no cost and no obligation, and you have at least $500,000 of investable assets, again, call 833-673-7373. As a bonus, we'll also send you a copy of Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Now, what happens when you call? You'll leave some basic information. Someone will call you back here next working day and set you up with an appointment with an advisor at Madrona Financial. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime, but this one call could make all the difference. 833-673-7373.
We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. We've been talking about two taxable events that can blindside you. Let's say that, Brian, someone calls 833-673-7373, request their Madrona analysis because they feel that they have some problems that need to be fixed. What happens next insofar as tax planning with these people? Yeah, tax planning is definitely a component of what we do. And I wanted to take a moment to talk about what we do and why we do it. I mean, basically, we're, we're trying to help you have a better life. And along the way, we want to solve, you know, figure out what we're solving for. Some people want different things. Uh, most people that we talk to, however, in retirement, uh, the two things that jump out out of the five things an investment can do are cash flow and security. Uh, next, there's growth, there's tax savings and liquidity. So tax savings is a component of what people want, but they also want their lifestyle. So what do we do and why do we do it? Again, we're trying to help you have a better life and along the way have better finances. And so the first thing that we solve for, I mentioned that we, we're going to do a financial plan, we're going to do a tax analysis, what if projections when it uh, calls for that. But the first thing we're, we got to solve for is what kind of life do you want to live financially? And generally that comes down to your cash flow. Because really, when you think about lifestyle planning, we, we, I kind of define it as cash flow planning. Mm-hmm. Lifestyle planning, cash flow, cash flow in your retirement, what you live on, what you spend, how you live your life, the things that you do with the money that you want to spend. We got to solve for that first. And there is no cookie cutter approach to that. I can't tell you how much you need to spend. It shouldn't be that way. You should be telling us. So as part of the essentially interview process that we'll be interviewing you on is understanding you and what you want your life to look like. and. How much does it cost to be you? That's one of the uh, terms that uh, Matt, one of my advisors, coined, and I love that one. How much does it cost to be you? Mm-hmm. And so once we start with that, now we can start running a financial projection, a financial plan, seeing what we think your life could look like. Are, you know, are your finances adequate? Where can they be helped? And all that stuff. What kind of product mix? In the first half of the show, we talked about 13 different areas of product mix and different risk and re- reward continuum related to that. But integrating that, now I mentioned there's five things investments can do and tax savings is one of them. So tax planning becomes part of that process. We're going to get a copy of your tax return. We're going to run it through a diagnostic program. We're going to have an accountant look at it and analyze it for opportunities. We're going to talk about taxes. We're one of the few financial advisors that can talk about taxes in depth because we're also a CPA firm. And so that's a very important component of this. It's not always something we need to do a lot with, but often it is. Very often, in fact, as I mentioned earlier, even taking more Roth conversions in your 60s when you're worried about having really high brackets in your 70s due to required minimum distributions just or you know having a real estate exit strategy using 1031 exchanges or whatever the case may be making sure we don't uh, run into some of the pitfalls we talked about earlier in this segment about triggers and, and marginal brackets and so forth so there's a lot going on here uh, sounds like a lot it is a lot but most of the work we do the heavy lifting so again getting back to the basics uh, what is it that we do and why do we do it you know we do the investing for people. We do the tax planning. We do the uh, life planning uh, through the financial plan. We do estate planning, uh, legacy planning, all of that too, but we integrate it. And that's something we do different. So uh, I think a lot of people talk about doing this stuff. I don't know if they can integrate it the way we can. I know we certainly strive to integrate all of those things at the highest level. And so why do we do it is to help you have a better life and live the life you want to live. And so we'll spend a lot of time just talking about that too, talking about not just finances and being, you know, ending up with the richest person in the graveyard kind of scenario, but living the life you want to live. That's very important. We would like to focus on that with our clients to kind of have them break their, you know, have a little paradigm shift sometimes because most of our clients are really good at making money, saving money and investing their whole life. And that may not be the objective in your 60s, 70s and 80s because you've already done a good job of that. Now it's time to live the life you want to live. So that's going to be a big focus of ours and why we do what we do. Brian, let's say that someone's listening to the program today and they come in to you and they say, you know, I've heard you, you're a bright guy, you're a CPA, but I just want to talk about taxes. I think I've got everything else handled. Can you realistically talk to somebody about their tax situation without including all the other areas of a portfolio? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because I think of other advisors that I know and uh, whenever the topic of taxes come up, they're like, oh, I don't I don't do that. You know, that's not for me. You know, you go talk to somebody else and I mean, I'll sell you an annuity or I'll, I'll put you in a 60-40 stock bond split or I'll put you all in the stock market because I hate annuities or whatever the case may be. And I'm scratching my head going, how do you get through any client meeting without talking taxes? Mm-hmm. I don't know because I can't do it. I literally can't get through a client meeting without thinking about legacy issues 
issues, uh, cash flow, uh, security, income taxes, uh, all that stuff. It's just, it's not how I'm wired. And, and my advisors are not wired that way too. We work together as a team. Uh, we have a number of advisors at the firm and you know I'm, I'm kind of their resource. I'm not the one that's meeting with you in the first or second meeting or anything like that because I'm the resource for all the advisors here. And But they're very smart people. They know what they're looking out for. We have our processes in place to do all the things I'm talking about. And we have a CPA firm that is also the resource of our advisors. So we're set up for success for our clients and, and our client's success. So uh, yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. I, I don't know how, how you don't integrate these things and get sure. it right. And Brian, we've used the phrase before, not letting the tax tail wag the dog. So when you do a plan with somebody, obviously, as you said, the five things that money can do, growth, security, liquidity, cash flow, and the last is tax savings. Do you do it in that order? Do you take care of the four before you get to the tax savings? Or do you kind of get into the tax savings first? Is there a proper order to do something like this? Yeah, Jeff, there is an order to things, I think, because, you know, tax savings is, is something we want to do. I'm a CPA. That's, that's something I'm asked to do for people, and, and we do a lot of. But that is not the end-all, be-all to a successful retirement or a good life. Certainly, I don't see anybody's graveyard say, you know, their tombstones say, save the mo- maximum amount of taxes, lived a great life because of it. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's not really the objective. The objective is to live the life you want to live. And to me, that starts with cash flow, having enough money to do the things you want to do, because it's so important to have that right. And once you have that and figured that out for your life, you know it's going to be there and, and you've solved for that, then we can work on security and growth and so forth. You're right. One of the, one of my books I wrote, the chapter's called Don't Let the Tax Tail Wag the Dog. And what I mean by that is I do have a number of people that come to me and they'll just be all about taxes, tax savings, tax savings. I got to put all my money into stuff so that no one ever pays any income tax. I'm like, okay, well, you can do that, but what are you going to live on? It doesn't matter. I'm just not going to spend money because I don't want to take anything out of my investments because I might pay some capital gains tax. I'm like, okay, let's have a talk here. We're going to have a life talk and about, is that the life you want to live and get down to it? Because sometimes we need to pay tax to live the life we want to live and don't let the tax tail wag the dog. In this case, the dog's your life. It's your lifestyle. Sure. We want to, we want to not pay more taxes than we need to. And if we can be smart about when we trigger things like selling a stock or selling real estate or maybe doing 1031 exchange and and not paying the tax, deferring it or, you know, different things that we can do uh, timing wise. Don't sell a gain position, a big gain position. The next year, sell a big loss position. You you can't carry that loss back. It carries forward and you can't use it up. You know, there's there's lots of things that we would look at timing wise and being smart about our tax planning as it relates to it. But it is not the primary motivator. Then that's not necessarily the primary thing that that we're going to start with because that's just a component of good financial planning. And as I mentioned, living the life, I keep going back to that, living the life you want to live. What does that look like? One of the things I challenge people to do is to be older you advising younger you. Younger you is today, you today. So project yourself out five or 10 years, pick one of them. And what would you be telling yourself? Would you be telling yourself certain things to do different? Uh, Would you be telling yourself to live frugally and and not pay any tax and, and don't go on those trips you want to go to, you know, do the things you want to do? So a lot of what we do is talking about the lifestyle you want to live. Certainly, we, we want to get this other stuff right. As I mentioned, I can't get it right without putting tax projections through programs and, and financial plans through programs. But if we do all that, we'll be in a better position to give good advice when the questions come up about how we can make uh, help you live the life you want to live. And I like that, too, looking out five years. I think, you know, five years from now, I think of myself wanting to do this or that. But at the top of my list is not, OK, I want to pay this amount in taxes. You really can fall into the trap of letting the tax tail wag the dog. And for some people, tax, even though it is a three-letter word, it is, for them, it's one of those four-letter words, and it just is a problem that you have to tame. Does it really have to be that way? Should you really be afraid of taxes? I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm i very blessed in, in my uh, career and certainly worked hard to get here. And nobody likes paying taxes. I get it. <laughs> I don't like paying taxes. But, you know, I, I feel blessed. That, and, and if I'm paying a lot of tax, I, you know, I'm a CPA. I know I did what I could to keep mm-hmm. it down. But, you know, it is what it is. And there's a reason we live in the greatest country in the world, you know, and, and taxes are part of that, making that happen. It just is. So it, it is a necessary component. But are we uh, patriotic? 
product to pay more than we need to? Well, no. Even the people that are always calling for more taxes, our, our congressmen and stuff, I don't see the left uh, writing, you know, giving extra money in their taxes. They never <laughs> volunteer any that they don't have to pay. No American volunteers that I know of uh, more money than they need to pay. And so doing proper tax planning, that's what the tax code is there for. It's, it's meant to socially engineer us to some degree. And within the framework of the tax code, there's a lot of variation. There's It's not a black and white code. If it was, it'd be about, you know, 100 pages, but it's thousands of pages and interpretations and rules and all that stuff because it's very gray. So we need to decipher it to our advantage. That's that's what it's there for. And so that's that's what our, our CPAs can, uh, can certainly help with. And I want to make it clear, too, that the tax code, or at least the IRS in general, I mean, it's not really about getting as much money as they can out of every individual that they can. The tax code is so complex because there are a lot of opportunities there where someone like you can dig in and find those opportunities versus somebody who, you know, maybe took a six-week tax course versus somebody who has studied taxes and tax planning for 30 years. Yeah, for example, uh, one of the chapters of one of my books is called Grandma, Please Don't Give Me Your House. And so the tax code says if Grandma gives me her rental house, she also gifted me her very low, fully depreciated basis. So when I sell it, I have a huge tax hit. Okay, well, the tax code also says that Grandma could do a 1031 exchange into a Delaware statutory trust and defer the the taxes on that property and not have to manage it anymore in, in her older years and still get income from the rents. And the tax code also has a provision that if Grandma passes away, then there's a step up in basis and no one will ever pay any income tax on any of the gains or depreciation recapture. Those are all in the tax code. It's perfectly legal to do all of that stuff. So she could have given the house to her grandson and he would have paid a ton of tax or she can leave it leave it to him in his will, quit being a landlord, do 1031 exchange. So there are opportunities within a tax code that are there for us and it was put in there for whatever you know reasons that Congress thought were good at the time. And so we should be using those to our advantage. Brian, if our listeners are hearing this program today and they're thinking to themselves, boy, that's a lot of great information. I wish I had somebody to help me with that. We want to invite them to call Madrona Financial and CPAs and request their Madrona analysis. You don't have to understand these things. You just have to know that we at Madrona Financial and CPAs understand them and will find every opportunity for you to live the life you want in retirement, which would include saving on taxes. So once again, we've opened the phone lines for you right now. Now, if any of this has any interest to you, call 833-673-7373 right now and request your Madrona analysis. If you've got problems with estate planning, if you've got problems with tax planning, if you have questions about cash flow or anything else, the Madrona analysis can help you smooth that journey to retirement. Once again, that number 833-673-7373. If you have at least $500,000 of investable assets, you qualify for this conversational analysis. And as a bonus, we'll also send you out a copy of Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. It's not going to cost you a dime, but the analysis could be just what you need to help you on your journey towards retirement. Once again, that number, 833-673-7373. What are you waiting for? Let's get 2023 closed up in the right way and be prepared for 2024 with your Madrona analysis. Well, Brian, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your own individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. DSD investments are only available to accredited investors and offered solely through the issuers offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. Madrona Financial and CPAs is a registered trade name used singly and collectively for the affiliate entities. Madrona Financial Services, LLC, Madrona, and Bauer Evans, Inc. PC. Bauer Evans. Investment advisory services are provided through Madrona. CPA services are provided through Bauer Evans.